Welcome to this week's Parsha Shir, Parshas Pinchos. Obviously, I'm very fond of that one because it's my name. Parshas Pinchos talks about uh, the incredible um, episode where Pinchos ben Elozo ben Aharon HaKoyen, uh, he excelled in his zealotry to the extent that he was nominated by God for a special award. But we're not going to talk about that this week. I'm not talking about Pinchos. I'm going to talk about Moshe Rabbeinu and his sons because an extraordinary thing happened, as we're going to see. Um, there was this moment in this week's parsha when the daughters of a man called Tzalofchod, he only had daughters, came to Moshe Rabbeinu, and they wanted to know what was going to happen to their father's portion. He had died, he had no sons, and the only kind of inheritance, uh, which in terms of inheritance has any value, is a son's inheritance. A daughter doesn't inherit anything. She only has inheritance that passes through her, perhaps to her children, but uh, can't take possession herself. But what happens if somebody only has daughters? So this was a question that uh, puzzled Moshe Rabbeinu. He didn't have an answer. He wasn't sufficiently informed to be able to answer that particular query. And he went to God and God told him that in a situation like that, of course, the daughter's are going to get the portion of their, of their father. They have no brothers to take that portion, and therefore they can inherit. Okay, it's an interesting, I've given Shi'urim on that in the past more than once, and you can check out my website. By the way, if you click on the uh, little icon at the bottom of your screen, if you're on YouTube, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. That would be wonderful to have you as a subscriber. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, of course, you can subscribe as well, and would be Wonderful to have you as a podcast subscriber. But in the event, uh, the important thing to understand is that this particular episode, this particular moment in the narrative prompted Moshe Rabbeinu to have a thought. Happens sometimes, right? It's one particularly um, or particular aspect of your life prompts you to have a thought about something which is related but unrelated. That's what happened in this week's Parsha. And he went about it subtly. Of course, there's no such thing as subtle with God, because God knows exactly what's going on inside your head and inside your heart. But for all intents and purposes, he didn't overtly say what he meant to say. And we need Torah Shabbat Peh, we need the Medrash, we need the Gemara to fill in the gaps. What is it that Moshe Rabbeinu meant when he continue when the parsha continues and it's straight after this particular incident of the daughters of Tzalofchod, what is it that Moshe Rabbeinu was thinking? The Pasuk says, Yifkait Hashem ish al Moshe Rabbeinu requested that God instruct him on a succession. That means Moshe Rabbeinu had been informed he was going to die. He's not going to take the Jewish people into the land of Israel, to the, at that stage Canaan. He wasn't going to be at the forefront of the conquest of the Promised Land. So what was the succession plan? How was the Jewish people, the Israelites, how were they going to be led after Moshe's demise? That's the question which Moshe Rabbeinu posed to God in this particular moment. Okay, so in and of itself you would think a very innocent question. Come on, I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu wants to know what's going to happen. I want to plan for my succession. 
après moi le déluge, right? And that's most people think, you know, without me, the world is going to collapse. The cemetery is full of indispensable people. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't that stupid, of course. He was the greatest leader we've ever had in many different aspects of his leadership. Uh, and, but one of the most remarkable is that he recognized that there was a succession and he wanted to make sure that the right person uh, was going to succeed him. But Teresha Baal Peh fills in the gaps. Let's look at Rashi. Rashi says, Yifkoid Hashem. What does he mean? Hashem should pick, Hashem should set up a leader after Moshe Rabbeinu was gone. Kivan Sheshoma Moshe. What is this proximity with the story of Tzalofchod's daughters and Moshe's sudden interest in succession, in a succession plan? Moshe Rabbeinu had heard that God had instructed him that the inheritance goes to the daughters in the event that there are no sons. So he recognized that even in a situation where somebody who perhaps and I'm going to put it this way, but you're going to see there's a lot of nuance here. Somebody who is not worthy, because a daughter is not, as it were, an inheritor from her father's inheritance, but in a situation where there are no sons, the daughter can inherit. So suddenly Moshe Rabbeinu sees a chink of light, an opening for his own sons to inherit something that was precious to him. It wasn't tangible like fields, and land and homes, but it was, and it's not intangible. It's something very meaningful, the leadership of the Jewish people. Who is going to take the mantle of leadership? Will my sons inherit it? You see, the daughters of Tzalofchad inherited their father's land, even though there was some question as to whether they should. And so too, my sons can certainly inherit uh, my leadership once I am gone. Omar, says Moshe Rabbeinu to himself. This is a thought bubble, appears above his head. It's time now for me to make the personal appeal. I should put forward, advocate for what I, am, uh, what I require, for what I need. That my children should inherit my greatness. In other words, my leadership. How did HaKadosh Baruch respond to this rather opaque request? Because Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say, excuse me God, can my sons take over my leadership? He said, who is going to replace me? So, It's not exactly what I was thinking. That's what God said to him. You know what he said? He said, actually, do you know who the most worthy candidate is? The most worthy candidate is none other than Joshua, your devoted disciple. He's the one who's never moved from my tent. In other words, he's been devoted his entire life, not just to you, but to your to everything that you stand for, Moshe Rabbeinu. He is a worthy replacement. And this explains that which Shlomo HaMelech said, it's in Mishle, in Proverbs, he who plants the date palm, Yoichal Piria, will eat of its fruit. Yeshua had certainly planted 
the date palm and now he was going to eat the dates. He had a date with destiny. That's the Rashi which explains the Pasuk of Yifkait Hashem Basar Ish Al Says the Mikdash Halevi, we're focusing again on my grandfather's wonderful Sefer. The Mikdash Halevi says, We need to really understand. What was the logic behind Moshe Rabbeinu coming forward with this particular request at this moment in time? If it was true to say, and this is just an assumption, that Moshe Rabbeinu's children were not worthy of the position that their father held, why would he have imagined that they should inherit this position even though they are not worthy? Because surely the leadership of the Jewish people, the leadership of any group, is so important that you don't just hand it to somebody because they were born into a particular family. That should resonate a lot with us in every sphere of our lives. You don't simply hand over something of great value to someone because they have a particular genetic code. They have to be worthy. They have to be up to the job. And if they're not up to the job, all that's going to prevail is disaster. So Moshe Rabbeinu is a wise man. He's led the Jewish people for 40 years. And notwithstanding his bias, his personal bias for his own children, why would he have imagined in his greatness and in his humility that his children should inherit that which uh, the Jewish people needed? In other words, the leadership, the qualities of leadership, that his children should become his son or sons should become leaders if they were not at the standard that was required of leadership of the Jewish people at that particular point in time. Why would he have thought that? Now, you may think, okay, Moshe Rabbeinu, biased or not, had gone through the Cheshbonus, had uh, calculated that actually his sons were worthy of leadership. That's, that's what his conclusion was, having considered all the aspects of what it took. And then we need to understand what was behind those particular calculations. When he weighed up the different aspects of what was required of leadership, why would he have thought his sons were worthy? In which case, why would God not have agreed to whatever it was that Moshe Rabbeinu was suggesting. The Nira Loima says the Mikdash Alevi, perhaps we can say as follows in response to that question, these questions, let's, let's be frank, who was Moshe Rabbeinu? In as much as we understand and we know that he was a man of great humility, we know that he was reluctant to become the leader of the Jewish people and that he argued with God for three days when he was at Chorev in front of the burning bush. Don't pick me, pick someone else. I'm not the right one. And he imagined that however successful he had or had not been, that the only reason he had been picked was because he got this great gift, a gift of responsibility, but a gift nonetheless less from God. That being the case, he imagined that leadership was a gift. 
אלא במתונו, במתנס שמיים שניתנו לו על ידי הקודש ברוך Why was he the leader of the Jewish people? He'd received a great gift from God that he should be the one that carries the can and does whatever needs to be done in order to lead the Jewish people. Somehow God believed that he was capable of this very, very difficult, all-encompassing undertaking. Says Moshe Rabbeinu to himself, you know what, I thought I was unworthy. And I was unworthy. And yet God decided that I'm capable of it and gave it to me. And having given it to me and allowing me to do something that I was not suited to do and wasn't destined to do, I seem to have made quite a good go of it. I seem to have been quite successful. Says Moshe Rabbeinu to himself, you know what, maybe my children are not entirely worthy. They're just like me, just like I was at the burning bush. They're not the paradigms of perfection. And yet, I didn't make too bad a go of it. And therefore, perhaps they too will be successful once they have that burden of responsibility. And that would enable them to fill his place. However, what happened? God had different plans, as we know. You know what? You cannot... Everything is a gift. There were hundreds of Sifrei Torah in the Heichal, in the Beis HaMikdosh, and the king came to read them, and he would choose one of however many Sifrei Torah there were. Why did he choose that one? Muzzle. He decided, or whoever it was that was in charge of the protocols of that day, decided that was the Sefer Torah they were going to read. Was it any different or better than any of the other Sefer Torah that were in the base of Mikdosh? No. Hakol Toluba Muzzle, Afilu Sefer Torah Shabahecho. Every Sefer Torah is good, but the Sefer Torah has to be kosher. Moshe Rabbeinu was good. Turned out he was the best, but he was a kosher leader. He was chosen by Hashem to be the leader of the Jewish people and of course it turned out to be a perfect decision and Moshe Rabbeinu was the great leader that we had and the great inspiration that continues to exist. But it's not something that was a gift. It wasn't that he was incapable of it and he received it as a gift and somehow he muddled his way through. He was perfectly capable of it. It just happens to be that he was the one that, that was chosen, not the others. Remember, he decided, he said to God, why shlach no tishloch, send my brother, I'm surely, surely he's going to be a better leader than me, and perhaps Aaron would have made a great leader. But God had decided Moshe Rabbeinu was going to be the leader. Not the matonot, not a random gift that one gets because you win the lottery. It is something that was designated for him, as it may have been designated for others, but he was the one that was tasked with the job. Elorak alidei amal v'yogea, because he was a person who'd put his heart and soul, everything that he had, into whatever it is that he did. And therefore God saw in him the perfect person. He was entitled in every possible way to take forward the leadership of the Jewish people. Let's be frank. His children were princes, 
They came from a very well-pedigreed family. Their father was Moshe Rabbeinu, their uncle was Aharon HaKoyen. They came from the Shevet Levi. They, they, had, they led a charmed life. But just because you are the son of Moshe Rabbeinu, just because you're the son of a Rebbe, doesn't make you a Rebbe yourself. You've got to put in the Omel, and you've got to put in the Yagiyah. If you don't put in the Omel and the Yagiyah, if there's no Amelus in your leadership, or your aspirations for leadership, there's no Yagiyas in your aspirations for leadership, then notwithstanding your great pedigree, you are not a leader. Moshe Rabbeinu's children, and we get it, Tzlovchot's children got something in a sense that they didn't deserve, but they did deserve it because their father had this land, and why should it pass to another family? Leadership is different. Leadership requires a total commitment. That was Moshe Rabbeinu's personality. Clearly, it wasn't the personality of his sons. They cannot inherit his honor, his greatness, his leadership, the qualities that he has is something that's unique to him or unique to anybody that has put in the effort, that has put in, as we say, the 10,000 hours to make it work. Yeshua Binun, on the other hand, he was someone who had put in the Yagias and the Amelus. He was somebody who was worthy of the task. And therefore, he took over the leadership. That's the first, um, the first Dvatura in Migdash Halevi regarding the leadership succession uh, that Moshe Rabbeinu addressed in Parshas Pinchas. He now goes on to address a much longer and much more comprehensive piece, in a sense, on this particular topic. Moshe Rabbeinu requests that God discuss with him the succession that was going to take place after he died. Now, Mikdash Shalevi quotes the Medrash, the Medrash in full. It's a fascinating Medrash. The Medrash says, So it's the same Medrash that's quoted or version of it that's quoted by Rashi, says the Medrash, why did Moshe Rabbeinu think to ask about this right now, about this, in this particular moment, after the discussion of the, uh, um, uh, of the, uh, the inheritance of Tzalofchad's daughters? Seeing as they inherited from their father Tzalofchad, Oma Moshe, now the time has come for me to claim that which is on my needs, these are the things that I would like to discuss in the same context. If it's true to say that daughters can inherit, it's possible for daughters to inherit. There's no question, it makes perfect sense that my sons should also inherit my honor, that which belongs to me, the leadership. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu quotes in the Pasuk, He who plants, or they who plant the date tree, will eat of its fruit. Let's discuss your children. So this Medrash goes into a bit more detail. Your children, they sat, but they weren't Isaac and Torah. 
they didn't immerse themselves in Torah. Yeshua, do you know what Yeshua did? He served you and he gave you a lot of honor. He got up early and he went to bed late so that he could be in your company, as it were, doing the things that you were doing in your base vad, in, in the group that accompanied you at all times. He was there to attend to you. He would arrange the benches and he, was, he laid out the mats in the base medrash. And seeing as he served you with all his might, with every ounce of his being, therefore he is worthy to serve Israel, to serve the Jewish people. Because he cannot lose his the benefit, the merit of having served you for all these years. For 40 years, he's been your shadow. And now it makes sense for him to step out of the shadow and to become the leader. Therefore, take Yeshua binun Joshua. He who has invested so much, He's planted the date palm. He's the one who's going to eat the fruit. He's going to, he's going to gain the benefit of having made that investment all those years ago and for all these years with all the effort that he has put in. In Umaitim Anubidivri Chazal says the Mikdash Shalevi, we see that Chazal say, that before Moshe Rabbeinu left this world, he wanted one of his sons to replace him to become the leader. That one of his sons should be the one that's going to inherit his honor, his inherit his position, his honored and treasured and cherished position as the leader, and would take forward the leadership of the Jewish people. You know what? Um, God um, rejected. He pushed it away. He totally dismissed the idea of Moshe Rabbeinu's children being the leader. And there are two reasons for this. And listen carefully to both of those reasons. Reish is the first reason is. The first thing that he tells Moshe Rabbeinu is, your children weren't Isaac and Torah. They're not people who were Isaac and Torah. They didn't involve themselves. They, did, they didn't immerse themselves in Torah. And that is something that inhibits their ability to be leaders of the Jewish people. That's reason number one. They're not Oiskim in Torah. The Shainis, the second reason. Number one is, your children are not worthy. Number two, Yehoshua is worthy. You know, he was Meshamashu. He served you in such a beautiful way. He was always there as your shadow through all these years. He also arranged the benches in the base medrash. He's somebody who made sure that the base medrash was tidied up at the end of the day and, and was ready for everybody at the beginning of the day. As a result of this, <coughs> he is worthy of the honor and the benefit of becoming the leader because, number one, he was Meshamesh Yu, and number two, 
he was he did all that to prepare the base medrash to create the atmosphere of learning for the Jewish people who were seeking the guidance of Moshe Rabbeinu during the period of his leadership. Says beautiful pshat. I love what the medrash has said. We've got the two reasons why Yehoshua was chosen and Moshe Rabbeinu's children weren't chosen. But there's two questions which arise from this Chazal. Question number one. The first reason that Moshe Rabbeinu was given. Do you know why? They were never Isaac in Torah. Your sons are not Isaac in Torah. They're not totally and utterly immersed in Torah. Your sons are not worthy of the position. They're not suited to it because they're not oiskim batayra. Poli? Says the Mikdash Shalevi. That's very puzzling. Did Moshe Rabbeinu himself not think of this as a possible pagam, as a possible uh, uh, query on the qualities of the leadership qualities of his sons? Why would he have suggested his sons if they were not Oiskim Batoira? Would he have therefore thought that his sons, who are not qualified, should nonetheless become the leaders of Kral Yisrael merely because they're his children? Doesn't make any sense. Moshe Rabbeinu had a sense of what it was, what was required of an individual, him, after all, for 40 years, he knew the intensity of it. He knew that you needed a lot of knowledge, you needed a connectedness to Hashem, to Torah. How could he have imagined that his children, who are not Oiskim Torah, whatever that means, we're not yet clear about the definition of that, but clearly there's some problem with it. Would he not have known that, this, that they were in an inappropriate choice for the leadership of Klal Yisrael? Question number one on this Chazal. Question number two, let's, let's try and calculate what exactly what was so amazing about Yehoshua bin Nun. Which as a result of that, whatever it was, he was Zoyche to Manhigus, he merited to become the leader. Let's think about it. Do you know what he was? He used to shuffle about the base medrash and make sure the benches were straight. That be makes a leader of Klal Yisrael. Maybe to make the next time we need a leader in Klal Yisrael, let's go and see who uh, straightens all the chairs in the shul. Make that person the leader, the shamus. The shamus of the shul should become the leader. Do you know why? Because he always straightens the chairs and he puts away the sidurim so beautifully, very tidily. He puts the sidurim back in the shelf. How wonderful. Maybe we should make him the leader of Klal Yisrael. Really? That's the qualification of a leader of Klal Yisrael. How does that make any sense? No question about it. It's a very wonderful thing. You make sure the chair is straight and the Talmud Chochem can sit down and learn. However, Ulam... Moshe 
just because Yeshua Nun was a chair straightener doesn't mean that he was qualified to fill the very large shoes that were left empty after the passing of Moshe Rabbeinu. How could we even suggest that this makes sense? It doesn't make any sense. So what was going on here? That's question number two. Says the Mikdash Shalevich de Lehovin Esadvarim Lashuram Doimeke Aleinu Laayim B'divrag Marm Sechus Nadorim Dafpe Aleph Amad Aleph Shom Shonino Let's look at a Gemara. It's a well-known Gemara. It's an interesting Gemara for all kinds of reasons. The Gemara in the Dorim Dafpe Aleph. I'm going to read the whole Gemara. The whole Gemara is not quoted actually in the Mikdash Alevi, but I'm going to read the whole Gemara. Why is it that Talmidei Chachomim don't necessarily have children who are Talmidei Chachomim? What's going on with that? Omer of Yosef. It's a specific reason. So it should never be said that Torah in and of itself is something that one can inherit. That doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. Rav Sheishes Bered Rav Idi Yisgadru Rav Sheishes, the son of Rav Idi, said that they should not be presumptuous. Yisgadru, they shouldn't be presumptuous towards the community that they will be able to be Tamida Chachomim like their fathers. And what does Mazutra say? Mazutra Imer, Misgabrin because they will take advantage of their father's position to act in a powerful manner over the community. And Rav Ashi says, Rav Ashi Oymemishum de Korul Inoshe Chamore, because they will consider ordinary people who are not the children of Tamid Chachomim as donkeys. Four reasons given as to why it is that it's not automatic that somebody whose father is a Talmud Chacham will themselves be a Talmud Chacham. Okay, we can go into that. It's a very interesting Gemara in and of itself, but the Gemara continues. Ravina Oimer. Ravina says a very interesting thing. If you see a Talmud Chochem whose son isn't a Talmud Chochem, She'ein mevorchim It's because they didn't make a bracha, birkas ha before they learned Torah. Da'omar Rav Yehuda Marav. Rav Yehuda said in the name of Rav, Ma'idich siv. That which it says, it's a posuk in Yirmiyah, about the Nevi'im and the Tamid Chachomim, the leaders, they didn't understand why it is that the Beis Amikdosh and Yerushalayim were being destroyed. We're now in the period of the three weeks. Why is it the Beis Amikdosh was destroyed? Says Yirmiyah Hanavi. Miho Chochom Who is the person? Who is the wise man that can understand this? How do we understand? Where is it? How does it make sense that the Beis Amikdosh was destroyed? This matter was put before great prophets. They didn't have the answer. They had no idea why the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. God Himself had to step forward and say, "I'll explain to you why the Beis Hamikdash is being destroyed." Hashem, it's the next pasuk. Hashem al because they abandoned my Torah. 
And you're going to see, we're going to see that the Mikdash Halevi quotes the Ran. How does that make any sense? Al-Ozvam is Torasi. The people abandoned the Torah, but why would the Nevi'im and the Chachamim not be able to know that? They didn't listen to my voice and they didn't follow my direction. Do you know what it means? Do you know what it was that, that enabled the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash? The people never said before they studied Torah. We have here a puzzle. A pasuk in on Jeremiah that tells us that the greatest people were shocked. They were astounded at the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. And the reason was, said God, because people, they were oizev the Torah. They abandoned the Torah. To which the Gemara explains, Omar Yehud Omar Rav, Rav, one of the greatest rabbis of the Talmud, they didn't make a bracha on Torah. Of course, they learned Torah, but they didn't make a bracha on Torah. So the Mikdash HaLevi explains what this is about. He says as follows, because of Aran. Matsasi b'Megillah Storim, he says, I found in Megillah Storim shall harav Rabbeinu Yoina. Dekra hachidayek. Let's explain this posuk, these two psukim that are trying to understand how come the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed and that no one understood what was going on at the time. The Gemara says the reason is because they didn't make Birkas Torah, they didn't make a blessing before they studied Torah. That's why they lost the land of Israel. Really? Does that make any sense? If you're going to say it's because they abandoned the Torah, as we would normally understand that they didn't observe Torah mitzvahs, what would that mean? It means that they didn't keep Torah mitzvahs. They weren't Shema Shabbos. They didn't keep Kashras. They ignored all the laws of the Shulchan Aruch. And therefore, the land was taken away from them. But surely, the great scholars of the era, they would have known the answer. They would have been able to immediately tell them, do you know why? that land is being or has been taken away, it's because you don't observe Torah, you don't keep mitzvahs. If you don't keep mitzvahs, of course Hashem is not going to keep his side of the bargain. It's something that's open and, and self-understood that that's the case. We don't need great scholars even. But how come the scholars weren't able to give the answer? Elavadai says the Ran. Oiskin hoyu tomid. These people were constantly involved and engaged in Torah. And that's why the great scholars and the prophets were puzzled as to why they were losing the land of Israel or had lost it. What's going on here? Until God explained it himself. What did he say? He knows really what's going on in somebody's head. He knows what you're really thinking. These people never made Birkas Torah before they studied Torah. What's that telling you? The Torah wasn't Choshev for them. It's a way of life. It's very important. We need to study Torah. It's intellectually stimulating. It's something that's very interesting. It's full of fascinating facets. But they weren't much of the Torah for what it was. 
So much so that they didn't even make a bracha, a blessing, before they started studying Torah. Torah is just a thing. It's great. It's part of our life. It's cultural. It's hugely important. It's dominant. It's central. But it's, come on, you don't have to make a bracha every day. I, mean, I made a bracha last week. What did I make a bracha today for? They weren't Isaac in it, really, because they valued it intrinsically as something spiritually uplifting. They valued it for all kinds of reasons, but not for the right reasons. And that's why they were disparaging about the blessing that needs to be said before. Because the blessing before learning Torah is an acknowledgement of its intrinsic value in a spiritual sense. And that they didn't necessarily recognize, or let's say they didn't recognize it enough. That's not why they were involved in Torah. It wasn't really the type of intensive spiritual experience that one would expect. And therefore, the people who were observing them, the great Chachamim and the Nevi'im, they saw them studying Torah, they're sitting in Yeshiva, they're arguing over Sugya. But when it came down to it, they never said Birkasat Torah because they, they did it because it was enjoyable. It was a Yetzirah maybe, but not because it was a Yetzirah Toiv, not because it had value and intrinsic value from the Jewish perspective. Therefore we see that in the time of the Chorban, at the time of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdosh, B'nei Yisrael, Oskubat Torah, the B'nei Yisrael were Oisek, as it were, in Torah, at least from a superficial view, one would say they were Oisek in Torah. They were great scholars. The Beis Medrash everywhere was full from one end to the other, you went in, you could hear the cold Torah, you could hear people studying Torah, they were definitely engaged in Torah. But it wasn't real, there was no depth to it, and there was no spirituality involved. But the Lechomim and the Nevi'im see it. They couldn't really understand how superficial, how meaningless it was. They didn't get it. They saw the base Medrash is full. We've done our jobs. So if you ask them, is that, does it make sense to you that the land is going to be taken away? They'd say, no, no, it doesn't make any sense at all. How can it make any sense? They're studying Torah. They're such special people. Because they didn't get it. It's only them because you don't make the bracha necessarily in front of other people. Therefore, nobody knows if you've made a bracha or not. But it's not the bracha, it's kind of a red herring. It's an attitude. The attitude towards Torah was wrong. That they didn't get. God had to explain, even though it seems that Klal Yisrael is Isaac in Torah, it's not something that's so unique in their eyes that it's at the top of the list of who they are and what they are and at the center of their very being. To the extent that even though they studied Torah every day and were great they would never think to make a bracha for it. It's not that important. Do you know conclusion that we can draw out of this 
piece of information. It's not enough to study Torah and to observe mitzvahs. It's not sufficient. That doesn't make you who you are. A lot is, will emerge as to who you are, about who you are, in your attitude towards Torah. What's your attitude towards Torah? What's your attitude towards mitzvahs? Why is it that you want to be involved in Torah? Do you want to be involved in Torah because it makes you look good in front of your friends? Do you want to be involved in Torah because it's socially required that you study Torah? Do you want to be involved in Torah because culturally it makes sense as a Jew to study this book which is at the foundation of our heritage and our history? Or do you want to be involved in Torah despite all of that? When you go on a journey and nobody's watching, when you're looking for spiritual solace, what do you turn to? Are you turning to Torah? Is Torah something that you do in and of itself because you think it's important? Or are there all kinds of social constructs that motivate you and that animate you in the Torah direction? Despite the fact that the Bnei Yisrael studied Torah at that time and the time of the Churban Beis Hamikdash, there were great scholars, people who could say over brisket Torahs and could uh, uh, just quote any Gemara, they could do the pin test, they could tell you exactly which letter was through every single duff of Gemara, it didn't matter what Masech you stuck the pin through. There was no doubt those people among the Bnei Yisrael However, it's not sufficient, it's not enough. There was a profound pagam, a problem, something that undermined the realness of their connection to Torah because of their attitude towards it the kind of off-hand treatment of Torah. This idea that they didn't make the bracha before they studied Torah, it's, it's almost a red herring, it's a foil, it's a demonstration, it's a way of us expressing a point. It indicated something that's made them rotten at their very core. In their inside, the inside, Torah wasn't valuable. The limdokiyem enom ma'arichim esatorah died. They didn't value the Torah enough. If you don't make a bracha before you study Torah, it means you don't value Torah. Otherwise, they would have made as many brachas as they could over it because they understood the spiritual value. Let's return now to the question that's two questions that we began, began with, and that is, Moshe Rabbeinu's um, nomination, as it were, of his sons or one of his sons to be the leader, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu's retort that they are not worthy. However, Yeshua is very worthy. From this we can say,
If it wouldn't have been true that Moshe Rabbeinu's sons were worthy of the job because they were great Talmidei Chachamim, he would certainly not have suggested them in the first place. He was no fool. He knew what it required. He knew that they needed to be Talmidei Chachamim. He knew he needed, they needed the, the knowledge, the depth of knowledge, the breadth of knowledge, every aspect of knowledge, the ability to derive knowledge. If he wouldn't have thought that they were worthy of that, he wouldn't have thought for one second to ask God for them to be the leaders. And yet he asked them. They were certainly at the level, the criteria. They had every single aspect of leadership qualities that are required from an external perspective looking on. Moshe Rabbeinu could certainly have said, look at the resume. Their resume is perfect. But there was a problem. Kodesh Baruch knows what's going on inside a person. And he knew that they weren't worthy. Come on. Moshe Rabbeinu said they are worthy. What's God telling him that he didn't know? He's telling him as follows. He knew that even though Moshe Rabbeinu's sons were such great, the greatest scholars, of course they were. They were his sons. There was something missing. And this, we're referring back to that Gemara in Nadorim. There was something not right. What wasn't right? Because it's not at the center, at the core of their being, of who they are. It's not their neshama. It's not animating them spiritually. It may be something that gives them a lot of sipuk in life. They love learning through a sugya and getting through every aspect of the shakal and the sugya. They, they get so much out of it, but it's not touching their neshama. They like doing other things or they don't value the Torah as the center of their being. They don't recognize enough the value, the elevated value of the Torah. It's not in terms of their preferences, but it's more than that. It's there's something missing. It's intangible to the extent that Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't see it. But God knows they don't have in their system that secret ingredient that can enable them to be Moshe Rabbeinu. They may have been people who study Torah, know Torah, knowledgeable in Torah, but they are not they're not immersed in Torah. It's not at the center of who they are. And that's what Exactly what God explained to Moshe when he asked, when he requested that his sons take over. His sons can't take over leading the nation. That's the words he used. They're not oisek in Torah. They're not, it's not the blood that's coursing through their veins and the oxygen that they breathe through their nostrils. Because 
Come on, to be a leader of Klal Yisrael, every aspect of who you are has got to be Torah. Not power, not money, not honor, not pedigree, not the clothes you wear, or the people whose hands you shake. Do you know what it means to be a leader in Klal Yisrael? That you've got to be an Oisek Batoira. You've got to be Omel Batoira. It's got to be at the center of your personality, that nothing else matters. And if it's a choice between that and any of those other things I've mentioned, Torah is always going to become going to come number one. Someone who's a manhig, a leader in Klal Yisrael, has got to put Torah at the center of who he is in terms of the leadership. Otherwise, they're not worthy of the title nor of the job. And that, God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, is the problem with your boys. They may be Talmudah Chachomim, but they don't have that secret quality, that secret ingredient, which I know, which they don't have. Yeshua lo masois, it's time to have the kudazuk of Yeshua exemplified this quality, this quality of leadership that was required, as says the Mikdash Shalevi. I'm going to explain. When Chazal describe how great Yeshua was, what do they say? He always arranged and straightened the chairs. They wanted to focus on one aspect of Yeshua's behavior that really encapsulates this quality of being Isaac Batoira, which is the secret ingredient required for every Jewish leader. He was totally, in Yiddish you have a word, and he was given over. He was totally, he wanted to make sure that his teacher and every aspect of what his teacher did was totally set up so that his teacher could excel and do whatever was needed and required in order to take forward the message of Torah. They wanted to deliver this message to us. That's what Chazal are doing. They're giving us messages. By the way, messages of how we should behave. They're using Yeshua and Moshe as the examples because the Torah Shabbal Peh does. It talks about the narratives of the Torah. But really, these are messages, profound messages of how we need to behave. Yeshua, of course, he's a Talmud Chochem. That just goes without saying. He's no different than Moshe Rabbeinu's kids, but there's something very different about him. He's the one who's straightening the chairs. So much was he machshiv the Torah. It was so valuable to him, so precious to him, so important to him. He valued the Torah so much he was willing to do anything to make sure that there was a platform to further the messages of the Torah to the greatest number of people possible and in the best possible way. He had completely dedicated his life until now. Every aspect of whatever he had, all the different qualities of his character and his time, 
to make sure that Am Yisrael had the most Torah possible. Whether this would be demonstrated or somehow we could see it by the fact that he studied Torah himself, that's the study of Torah in and of itself. That's important, of course, hugely important studying Torah. Maybe it's just to do with the fact that you've got to propagate Torah, make sure that Torah is taught and Torah is learnt. And actually, it doesn't require such elevated intellectual exercises or pedagogic skills. The most ordinary thing, making sure the classroom is set up so that when Moshe Rabbeinu comes to teach, you don't have to waste a minute or a second preparing the classroom because it's already prepared. All you need to do is everyone sits down and Moshe Rabbeinu begins to give the share. That demonstrates how important Torah was to Yeshua. He's a great rabbi, a great scholar. He's the main Talmud of Moshe Rabbeinu. He's willing to be the one who's the first there in the morning and the last there at night to make sure that every aspect of the logistics of making sure that the operation runs smoothly so that Moshe can teach Torah Every aspect is taken care of, thought through, and been acted upon. That's what he did. Yeshua just didn't just learn Torah. The Lorak Torah, didn't just teach Torah. He was Isaac in Torah. It was his life. It was every aspect. He woke up in the morning. What can I do today to make sure that Torah is going to be learned and taught? That's Yehoshua. It's not Moshe Rabbeinu's sons, it's Yehoshua. Exactly the quality that was lacking in the sons of Moshe. It was exemplified in Yehoshua. You know what? There was nothing more important in Yeshua's life than Torah. And it's demonstrated in everything that he did. And every aspect of his life was focused on one thing. His, he had a one-track mind. Not one-track mind. He had a 20-track mind. But all tracks were going in the same direction and focused on the same goal. And the ease of which people can access Torah. That's why he deserved the crown of the leadership of the Jewish people. And that's why he, was, he merited to inherit the position of his great teacher. Let's think about it. A beautiful final little thought. Nimza. What's the first bracha we say when we say the bracha on Torah? Lilmoi Torah? No. Hino la'asoik b'divrei Torah. The best bracha you can say on Torah is la'asoik b'divrei Torah. I want to be an oisik b'Torah. It includes limud. It includes teaching. It includes buying sforim. It includes making sure that your children learn Torah, that your friends hear Advat Torah, that your shul has a shir, that every aspect of your life revolves around somehow 
enabling someone somewhere to learn Torah, to know Torah, and to lead their lives through Torah. La'asoyk b'divrei Torah. Shekem b'chdei lahasiges piskas amali. You want to get to the most elevated place that you can be as a Jew? To the pinnacle? To the summit? Ain't dai b'limuda Torah. It's not enough just if you learn Torah. I have a share once a week, that's enough. There's got to be a deep and passionate commitment to Torah in every aspect of your life. Torah, a somehow an immersement. You're totally immersed in the words of Torah, in the acts of Torah, and in the propagation of Torah. We'll leave it here for today. Thank you.